All right, so it's really good to see everybody. We're going to go ahead and continue in our study of the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. We just got finished up for the last couple of months. We've been in the book of John, John chapter 10. And today we're going to switch over to the book of Luke. And today we're going to talk about Jesus sending the disciples out. Jesus sending the disciples out. So if you will, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Um, While you're turning there, I'll open us up in a word of prayer and we'll get started. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you do for us, for the many blessings that you pour in our lives, for the food uh, that was provided for us today for our lunch, um, for these uh, this chance for us to come together and to study your word and to grow in the knowledge of your truth. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to help us to know him and to be forgiven and uh, to become children of God. And I just pray that in the next few minutes as we open your word and study your word that you will help us to receive it and to believe it. And I pray that you will give us the strength and the willingness to go out and share it with others as well. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we live in a world that is very, very self-centered. Like we, um, if I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but if you want to really see how self-centered you are, and I'm talking to you and me, we're all very self-centered. Just listen to how many times in a conversation you use the word I, I, me, and my. Like everything that we talk about is about me, and we make everything relative to us. And in the gospel, in the kingdom message, Jesus never makes it about himself, does he? He makes it about his Father's will. And he makes it about loving God with all of your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and all your might, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And so we live in a world that is very self-centered. And in reality, the kingdom of God is not based on those principles, is it? The kingdom of God is based on God and neighbor. Like it's about him and it's about them, not about me. And so we're going to live our entire lives constantly um, battling this desire to fulfill our own personal needs and to get things for ourselves instead of living for God and others. We constantly live for self. Just think about the the Powerball. It's $1.9 million, billion, not million, billion dollars right now. And, I, boy, I hear everybody in the world talking about what they do if they win this. You know, if I win $1.9 million, I'm going to do this and this and this. And, we, and, and so a lot of times we, even as Christians, a lot of times we can get into this mindset or this heart set where God is our genie or God is our lottery ticket. And, like, it's all about the things that he's going to do for me. Now, does God do for his children? Yes. He's a good father, and he does provide for his children. Uh, The Bible clearly teaches us that. But the reason that he provides for us, the reason that he saved us, the reason that he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light is so that we can live for him and others and not ourselves. And that's something that we always have to contend with. And so in today's lesson, we're going to see where Jesus is going to now take his disciples. He's been preaching this kingdom message to the world around him, right? And now he's going to take his disciples and he's going to send them out to share the very message that he has been sharing with them. So if every one of you in this room, if you truly are 
a born-again believer. If you really are a child of God, the reason you are is, number one, because God saved you, God called you, God regenerated your heart, and God gave you salvation. He gave you the gift of eternal life, and He gave you His forgiveness, and He filled you with His Spirit. But the method that He used to save you was that He sent people into your life to share His Word with you. If you're in this room today and you're saved, it's because somebody shared the gospel. Somebody shared God's word with you. Well, you people for me. Right. Sure. And lots of people. No, no doubt. Right. No doubt. But, and so we need to remember that. Just think about it. Every Christian in the world today owes some thanks to the apostles. Because Jesus commanded them to go and to make disciples and to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They did it. They went. All right? And so the one of the deep underlying points that I hope you will grasp from the message that we see today is that God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, not for yourself, but for him, his glory. And your neighbor, the people around you. Right, because he's taking care of us. Right. So we were just we just were having a discussion before we started our class today about being at work on time. Right. One of the ways that I can show people that I'm a Christian is to happily yield to the authority that God has placed over me in my life, whether it be my parent, whether it be a school principal, whether it be a police officer, whether it be uh, my boss at work. Now, do we like to be bosses? No. Yes, wow. Right? We do not like to be bossed around. I do not like to be told what to do. And, and I do not like for people to point out when I'm not doing what, I don't, what I'm supposed to do. But the reality is, is that we are commanded to die to self and to live for God and others. And one of the ways that we do that is by the life that we live before the world. And so now Jesus is going to take these disciples and he's going to send them out with a gospel message. Let's let's turn to the passage, Luke 10. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16 today. Luke 10, verse 1 through 16, it says, Now, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them in pairs of head of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as a lamb in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one in the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. 
Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And heal those in it who are sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into a street and say, Even the dust of your city which clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on ju- on, in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to me, to you, listens to me, and the one who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Okay? So Jesus is sending his disciples. What have we said in the past about disciples? What is the root word behind disciple? What is the root word behind disciple, Or You remember? What is the basic word behind disciple? To follow. It means to follow, yes. But what do you think of when you think of disciple? Discipline. Discipline. It is someone who is under the teaching of a teacher. Who are Jesus' followers? Who are those under his teaching? The disciples. Those who receive his word, those who believe his word. Those who are saved and keep his word. That's exactly right. So these are the people that he's going to send out. Now he had a main, the main 12 that followed him. But apparently, right, does he have other people following yeah. him? Yes. All right, good. He has lots of people following him. Now is everyone that is following him his disciple? No. Okay. Why not? Why is not everyone that follows him not his disciple? Why are some of the people following him? Why are some of the people following him that are following him? Why are they following him? Why are the people following Jesus? Well, for the obvious reasons, he does perform many miracles. He's, he's a miracle worker, right? There's always a show around him, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Right? And the ones that believe in him, safety, um, being closer to God. Comfort, hope, good. Yeah. Yeah, for the, the true disciple, there wasn't easy back then. Right, good. Well, How many? where they are, they're in danger here. Yep. How many of y'all remember the story we uh, studied a couple months ago where Jesus fed the people with the bread? And he chided the people and said, you did not come to me. And there was a lot of people. You didn't did. come to me because of the words I was giving you. You came to me. Why? Because I filled your belly. Yeah. Right? There are a lot there's of people. Something for free. Right? There are a lot of people go to Wednesday night prayer meetings where there's a dinner you just so dinner. they can get something to eat. Right? <laughs> right. And we all know those folks. But sometimes the food will get someone in who's going to listen to God's word. You think? Sometimes the miracles get people in? Sometimes. Okay. All right. right, So. It's beneficial. I'll put it that way. Now, with that said, I want you to think about this premise here. Is Jesus saying, bring them to me? Or go out and take me to them? 
Go out and take me to them. Yeah, right. So the the true follower is following Christ because he has worship. Remember, so uh, Jesus chided the crowd after he fed them with the bread and said, you're not following me because of the words of truth that I'm teaching you. You're following me because I filled your belly with bread and fish. But then uh, after he got on to them really hard, a bunch of people went away and there was only the 12 left there. And Jesus said, are y'all going to leave me also? And who remembers what Peter said? He said, how can we leave you? You have the words of life. So Peter was following Jesus because Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, uh, Peter was following Jesus because Jesus is the good shepherd and Peter was one of his sheep. He heard the master's voice. He heard the shepherd's voice. And as a, a sheep, the true sheep follow the good shepherd. And so these disciples are following Jesus. And it said he took this other 70 and sent them out in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. So Jesus is making his way back to Jerusalem, right? Why is he going back to Jerusalem now? Anybody remember? It's to be crucified, right? He's already told disciples, we're fixing to go back there and they're fixing to spit on me and flog me and, and crucify me. So he's on his way back to Jerusalem to be crucified. And now he's sending out these people to all of the cities ahead of him to let them know that the kingdom has come. Right. Now, we'll also see that a lot of the people did not receive the message from Jesus because they were looking for a conquering king that was going to come over and beat up all the crooked politicians and all the Roman uh the crooked police in Rome and 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 to heal them from all of their diseases and save them from all of their sickness and and beat up the Romans and kick them out and then set up the Jewish people as the rulers of the world. They were looking for somebody to come in and take away all of their problems and make life everything just be like one big lottery. That's event. not what the scriptures taught no. them. And what is he saying is going to happen? I don't understand. How did they get it so wrong? What we all do. Because again, we always they make it about the who? scriptures and memorize the scriptures. They should have known what to look for. And maybe they did and didn't want right. to. Okay. And so you're exactly right, Lori, but we need to remember that that parallel between the Israelites of that day when their Messiah came, they rejected him. In the same way, the church today does the same thing, don't we? We know the scriptures, and we got professors and PhDs, and we got pastors that have more letters behind their names than than the alphabet, you know. And we have uh, we have people that go to church religiously every week, and we have I mean we have an organized religion that's uh, beautiful buildings and 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 gold edifices and and altars and sanctuaries and and. And multi-million dollar complex. We have all of that. And yet, what we find out is, is that it's most of the time, Jesus' greatest opponents were those that wore the label of religious, right? So we need to be careful because even we as Christians can turn the gospel message on his head and make it about ourselves instead of about him and others. We, all of us are capable of doing that because we're fallen human beings. 
Now, thankfully, we've been saved, we've been forgiven, and we have the Holy Spirit who teaches us and guides us. But we need to understand that even we as Christians can be selfish. Even we as Christians, there are often times... I find myself untrusting quite often, and I apologize to God, and then I think that I can fix what I did wrong. Sometimes I can. But... One of the reasons that they rejected him was because, well, the main reason is because just the hard hearts and unbelief. But they had established in their mind what their Messiah was going to look like when he came, and he didn't come looking like what they thought. But all, and all of them did, except for Nicodemus. Nicodemus, all well, he did at first, but he came around. But they should have known what to look for. We but, should too. Nicodemus kind of, he started asking questions. Yep. And so we need to understand that Jesus is sending these people out because he's coming to to do what he's come to do. He, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to die on the cross to save uh, his sheep. And he's come and he's here. And these people are supposed to go out and declare that message that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the kingdom is right in front of their eyes. And so what's going to happen? As as Jesus went out and proclaimed the message, there were those who received him, there were those who believed him and followed him, and there were also those that disbelieved him and rejected him and spit on him and crucified him. Well, in the same way that they treated Jesus that way, those who now go out in his name and proclaim his message to the world are going to be treated in the same way, aren't they? And why is that hard for us as people? Because we don't like to be laughed at. We don't like to be joked about. We don't like to be picked on. We don't like to be abused. We don't like to be lied to. We don't like to be, we don't like any of those kind of things, do we? And yet what Jesus promised was is that if you go out to the world in my name, they're going to treat you just like they treated me. And so again, remember at the beginning of our lesson today, I was saying how we oftentimes treat God like a lottery ticket. Mm -hmm. Like now that I have him, I'm going to be able to do this and do this and do this and do this. And in reality, what has Jesus called me to do? He's called me to take up my cross and follow him. And that message isn't hardly preached from our pulpits anymore. That the Christian life is not going to be happy, happy, joy, joy in a worldly sense. I am going to have a peace that this world cannot give me. And because I have that peace, this world is going to reject me. I have a message of eternity and I have a message of hope. And I have a message of forgiveness for sins and life everlasting, and the world is going to reject that as well. All right? So, let's look and see what he said. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech or pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, what did he ask them to pray for? He prayed for people to be sent out into the world. And what he said was, the harvest is plenty, but there's not a lot of laborers. Now, we were just talking about that just a minute ago, right? I I, I read that. We were just talking about that, about how 
I can tell you in the service industry around this area and all around the world, really, for right now. But the service industry, this uh, town we live in is a tourist-based industry. There's a lot of restaurants, a lot of hotels, a lot of service provision. And the reality is, is there's hardly nobody to do the work. There's lots of people want to be served, but there's not enough people to do the serving. And so what Jesus is saying is there's a harvest out there to be taken in, but somebody's got to go out and claim the harvest. Well, what is he doing? He's speaking in agricultural terms. What do you mean by a harvest? To gather the crops. To gather the crops that have grown and are ripe and are ready to be... Uh, before they rot. Before they rot. That's exactly right. But what he's say, what's he saying? There's plenty out there to be taken in. We just don't have the workers to go out and do it. And so, what is the harvest in this story? What is Jesus talking about? What does he say? What does he mean when he said the harvest is plentiful? People. Yeah, there are people around you that you run into every day, and some people that you hang out with and talk with every day that are dying and going to hell because they have not received the gospel. They have not heard the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified for sin. And so how is the har- who who is the harvest? The harvest is the lost. Remember what Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And although it is Jesus and his Holy Spirit, it is Jesus and his Holy Spirit this the message this harvesting the crops. The method that he uses to harvest those crops is to send workers out into the field. And who are those workers? These disciples, these that he is sending out for that message. He said, he said, pray to the Lord that he will send laborers out into the harvest. And in the same way that we live in a society now in Savannah where it's a service industry and there are just simply not enough quality, dependable workers out there to do the work that's required and necessary, it's the same in the kingdom of God, isn't it? We as Christians love being served, but we don't really like to serve that much. If, you, if you've ever been a part of a church for any amount of time, you will quickly realize that there's usually only about 1% of the church body that is doing 99% of the work. You usually have the preacher and a couple deacons and a couple of Sunday school teachers and working working their tails off and the rest of the crowd just comes and checks in on Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon and they go home and you don't hear from them or see from them the rest of the week. Have you ever noticed that? That in almost every church you go to, there's only it's always just a few people in that church that are ones that are making the wheels turn. No, no, no. How can you see it's different? Yeah, you got a lot of people that do everything over there. Yeah. Everybody shares. Well, and that's the way it should be. Yeah. But the, in the majority of the organized church today, it's usually just a handful of people that are doing all the work. Now, in the work I'm talking about is not making meals and having dinners. And, no, it's everything of the church. Right? What is the work that Jesus is sending these disciples out to do? Spread the gospel. To share the gospel. To go out and proclaim Christ and Him crucified to the world. So, 
don't you know I don't want to be pointing fingers at all of the church. How many times this week have I shared the gospel with somebody? How many times have I sat down in the last month with somebody that I know is lost and shared the promise of Jesus Christ with them? And if we're honest with ourselves, at least four. Okay, <laughs> yeah, teaching a class, right? Teaching a class. Uh, but think about that. I, I I always am reminding myself that one day I'm gonna have to stand and answer for every breath that He's given me. Ain't that gonna take a minute? <laughs> I'm gonna have to stand and answer for every thought, feeling, and emotion that I've had. I'm gonna have to stand and answer for every opportunity that I've had to share His love with somebody when I didn't. And and it's. It's humbling to think of how selfish I am as a person. Yeah. It's about me most yeah. of the time. Yeah. And it, and I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about all of it. I'm talking about the whole the whole of the world. Sometimes, I don't know why, but it's like sometimes when I go to try to, sh- to share the gospel, it's like I can't, st- I can't speak. Do you, do, you ever, do you ever do that? You know, like when you're standing there next to somebody and you, and you think about the opportunity to be able to talk about Jesus Christ, but it's just like it won't come out is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. And a lot of times we feel like, well, what happens if they start asking me questions and I don't know the answer? Exactly. That's why I don't say nothing. <laughs> well, I got news for you. None of us know all the answers. No. But but I always just tell them to go back does. and look it up yeah. in the Bible. All right. We so what is the answer to that? Well, let's, let's jump ahead. We've only got a few minutes left. Let's jump ahead down to the bottom of the text and look what Jesus says about that in verse 16. Where is that? And Jesus rejoices in the Father's will? No, John, uh, Luke 10, verse 16. Got it. Look what it says. The one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. Mine says the one who hears you hears me. Okay, the one who listens to you. Yeah. Same thing. It is. All right. One who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Right? So, these disciples have been given authority to go out and proclaim the kingdom promises to the world. And did he say, oh, everybody's going to believe you and everybody's going to love you and hug you and thank no, you for what your message? As a matter of fact, before you read how there were lambs going into the den of yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to see that. So let's go back up and look at verse uh, 2 there. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs into the midst of wolves. Now, so watch what he said. Watch what Jesus said. He said, pray that God will send people out into the fields. And then what does it say in the very next verse in verse 3? Go, behold, I send you out. All right? So they're supposed to pray for workers. And who are the workers that they're praying about? It winds up being some of them. You see? They're supposed to be praying for workers to go out, and then Jesus sends them out. And so he, he said... In verse 3, let me let me paraphrase this and you tell me if this is what it said. Look at verse 3 again. Luke 10, 3. Go, behold, I send you out as conquerors to go out and conquer the world. No. No. He said, I'm going to send you out as sheep among a bunch of wolves and they're going to rip your throats out and attack you. Oh, boy. 
Don't carry any money back. Right. Don't greet anybody right. on the road. Right. So, don't carry a money belt. Don't carry a bag. Don't carry shoes. And greet no and one in the way. That's very important because some folks, new Christians especially, would just walk up to just anybody and they could get hurt in, who, in, who, in, a, in a violent environment. Who are the ones that be so knocking on the door? I mean, I know God leads you, but this is what he's telling him. Don't greet anybody. Well, but that's not what he... So let's look at those, let's look at those statements. He says... I send you out as lambs. Don't carry a money belt. Don't carry a bag. Don't carry any shoes. That's like an extra pair of shoes. And says don't wear sandals. Right. And greet no one on the way. All right. So, number one, when it says greet no one on the way, you've got to speak to people, don't you? What he's talking about is you remember how we got here today and we had a greeting? And what did we do at a lot of our Bible study time today? Talk. Yeah, we wasted it talking about life, right? We had our, our greeting period of our, our class when we got here today. We got here, I got here at 12.15. Okay, I have something on y'all, y'all got here about 12.30, and we didn't start the class till like 12.45. So we spent 15 minutes greeting one another. That's what he's talking about. He said, don't go out wasting all of your time. An and, thing. Can I read my study note? Yes, please read your study note, Lord. <laughs> I love you, Ronnie. Says greet no no one. A greeting in that culture was elaborate ceremony involving many formalities, perhaps even a meal and long delay. See, so you see how that word in our class today. So it's very different than what I was thinking. We had Lori. So Chatham Transition Ministries meets every Tuesday here at Calvary to do what? Study Bible. To have Bible study. What time does it start? Twelve thirty. Twelve thirty. What time do you get over? 1.30, and what did we do? Today we spent the first 15 minutes greeting one another. Well, did. Now, did we enjoy it? We did. Yes, it was nice. We had some good conversations. We solved no problems in the world, but we did have a good conversation. But what did we do? We took 15 minutes of time that should have been devoted to Bible study, and we talked about ourselves, right? Well, it depends on how long your Bible studies are, because there's they're some for an hour, and then there's some for 30 minutes. Okay, all right. So, But that's the point he's making about don't greet anyone. In other words, to share the gospel with someone, you have to meet them and know who they are. But what's he saying? Don't waste the whole time just talking and introducing I, yourself. I can see that, where he's talking about don't greet them, just get right to the point. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, yep. And so, and he's, and also, when it comes to this no belt, no shoes, and no bag, what he's doing is he's teaching them, if I got a bunch of money in the bank, if I got, uh, uh, you know, nice clothes on, I got all these things, um, I may begin to depend on material things instead of depending on God. Is there anything in the world wrong with having a money bag or shoes or a belt? No, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But what he was trying to teach these disciples to do was stop depending on the world and his provisions and depend on me and what I provide for you. God and his people. Because we're going to see here in just a second, look, when you enter a house, say peace on this house. So is he greeting somebody when he goes to that house? Yes. And is he going to stay there and is he going to have some food? Yes. And so it's not that we're not supposed to eat or drink or be polite to people. But he's depending on those people to provide food for him because he ain't got no money. Yeah, and he's depending on God to provide for him. Right. 
through other people. All right, so the first thing that he said is when you get there, give your peace to that house. Now, what is the peace that passes all understanding? Yeah, it's it's the it's the knowledge and a spiritual intimacy with God. He promised me that when I believe on Him, I will have a peace that passes all understanding. So faith in God gives me a peace that this world cannot provide. It should make me different than the world. It should make me where I don't lose my temper and snap off at people because they say something that I don't agree with. Now, does it always work? No. Right. But think about it. Think about what he's saying. He's saying, I have given you my peace. Now go out and share that peace with others. Give your peace to that house. And then what does it say? If a man, if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will come back to you. So what do you think a man of peace is? Who is a man of peace? Yeah, it's somebody who's living a peaceful life. And how can we live a peaceful life in this world? Through knowledge of Christ. So we go in and we share with people the truth of God. We offer His peace to them. A peace offering. And if they receive it, what happens? He becomes a man of peace. If they reject it, that peace returns to me. So what is he saying? The person who rejects my message of peace, the person who rejects my gospel, is not going to know peace themselves. And the peace that you share them will come right back to you. Now, is it up to me to force his peace down people's throat? No. It's up to me to offer peace through a proclamation of the gospel and then God will deal with it. The Holy Spirit will either work in the hearts and soften the hearts and open the ears of the one that receives the message or harden and condemn and blind the one who rejects it. So I go and offer my peace. What is my peace? Jesus, the Prince of Peace, His gospel message, I share it with others. And it's either going to be received or rejected. If it's rejected, that peace returns to me. If that peace is received, then that person is a man of peace. And then I just have more room for more peace to come to me then once I've shared some with somebody else, right? So, uh, stay in that house eating and drinking what they give you for the labor is worthy of his wages. All right, so we're working for the kingdom. And when you work and earn your living, they should pay you, right? But he said, don't keep moving from house to house. So what he was saying about that is don't move from house to house. A lot of people are constantly bouncing from house to house trying to find the better house. In other words, he's saying be satisfied in whatever position you're in. You do that with your job too. Yeah, you bounce from job to job thinking the next one's going to be better. Mm -hmm. And why do you usually leave one job for another job? What's the main reason? More pay. pay. They're going to give me more pay. Right? But with more pay comes more responsibility. More labor. Well, it depends on what job. If, if they're paying you, you're laboring. All right. Now, he says this. Whatever center, city you in, enter into, 
and they receive you, eat what is set before you, and heal those who are sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So what has he given these people the power to do? Not only to proclaim the gospel, but to do the same miracles that he's doing, right? To drive out demons and to heal folks. And he said, but whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your city clings to our feet. We wipe it off and protest against you. Be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So they are to walk outside the city, take their sandals off and beat them and knock the dust off of the sandals and say, even the dust of your city is not even worth me carrying out of here. And then he says, I say to you, it will be more tolerant on that day for Sodom than for that city. What do you cause now? What do you Bethsaida? For if the miracles that have been performed in Tyre and Sidon had occurred in you, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. All right. So one of the things that we need to remember, where, where is Sodom? What, where do we learn about Sodom in the Old Testament? What did God do to the city of Sodom? Not only he 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 destroyed it, he wiped it off the face of the earth with fire and brimstone. And so what he's saying is, if the message that you, my disciples, have been given to give to these people would have been given in Sodom, they would have turned around and changed. What exactly? What what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah that they? That they got wiped out. What was the so, <clears throat> the um, they mainly they were a wicked nation and they were um, idolaters and they were sexually immoral. Like it's where we get our term sodomy from. They were a, a, a wicked, sexually perverse people. Okay. So but there's also something that ties into our story today. Remember where Jesus is sending these people out and they, and what are the people supposed to do that they go to visit? Receive them, right? If if so, if a messenger of the gospel comes to a house and walks into that house, what are the people in the house supposed to do? Receive them and be hospitable to them. Well, one of the things that you see in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is is that when the angels of God went into that city to visit in that city, nobody was hospitable to them. Nobody invited them into their homes. So there's a picture there of a rejection of being kind to strangers, to being kind to to aliens, to be kind to people that aren't like you. Okay. Um, so there, but no, Sodom was destroyed because it was a wicked and evil nation. Okay. And what Jesus is saying here, think about what he's saying. There are other nations that have been destroyed in my wrath that did not have the privilege of hearing the message that you're hearing. And on the final day, on judgment day, it's going to be better for them than for you. That's bad. Right. Because remember, and and this is so important, and then we'll close with this. This is something for us to think about. When you've heard the gospel, you're now more responsible to God than somebody who hasn't, aren't you? Right, I, I, I'm sure that all of us in this room have some friends that really don't know God and really have never trusted Christ and are just pretty bad people. Mm-hmm. And they've just lived out in the world and done whatever they wanted all their lives. But 
they do so in willful ignorance, don't they? Then there are some people who are Christians that know the truth and yet willfully turn away from that truth and go out and live. Right. So they the person who has heard the gospel, a person who knows Christ, is more accountable for their actions than someone who doesn't. There's a greater condemnation to those that know the truth and still go out and live in violation to it than someone who doesn't know A A from Z. So every time that you've sat in church and heard a preacher preach, or every time you've come to one of these classes here and done a Bible study, every time that you've gone to Sunday school, every time that you've picked up your Bible and read it, every time that you've prayed to God and asked Him for things in your life, you are acknowledging that God is God. And you are receiving the message of truth, right? Well, to receive that message of truth and then to go out and live the lie, you are actually more responsible for, accountable for what you've done than somebody who has never known that truth. And he says this. The one who listens to you listens to me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So who is the one who sent Jesus? The Father, right? Who's the Father? Father God. And who is the one that sent the disciples out? Jesus. So now these disciples have this authority about them. Their authority is is they have the authority to share God's peace with others, to share the gospel message with others, and to share that peace with others. And they have the authority to say, my Father in heaven has said this. And when a person rejects that peace, when a person rejects that message of the gospel, not only are they rejecting the messenger, but they're rejecting the one who sent the messenger. See how that works? Mm-hmm. All right. So next time we're together... Um, I don't see y'all next week, Lord, right? No, no, no class next no week. Okay. So in the week after that, we'll finish up Luke 10. If you want to continue to read that some more um, on your own time between now and the 21st, if you want to do that, um, or the 20th, whatever day it is, um, we'll get back together. We'll try to finish up 10. Next time we come back together, we're going to see the disciples come back to Jesus all happy that they've went out and done what he told them to, and they've seen results. So let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your love. Um, help us to be more um, in tune with um, your desires, your will. Help us to be more willing to live for you and others and to die to self. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.